Well, last week we talked about, um, and as John mentioned, we're in this, uh, this new series about uh, what God is doing and that we are in this together. Just like the early church was in this together, we are in this together as the church. Last week we talked about what did the early church look like in Acts chapter 2. One of the things it said is they prayed together as they had fellowship, they met in the temple, they met in homes, they were faithful to God, that miracles happened. And so we start asking, what kind of miracles? Well, this week we're going to find out in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, uh, we're going to read about one of those miracles that happened. And let's go ahead and dive right into that, into the scripture right now. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. You can find it in your own Bible or the Bible underneath your seat or on the screens in front of you. Hear God's word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognized him as the same man who used to sit, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, we've been in prayer already this morning, and we give you thanks for this day and this chance to worship together. We ask now that you open our minds, open my mind and the people's minds to understand your word better and to apply it to our lives and to the life of our church. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have been doing, we have some notes on the left-hand side on the inside cover of your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along with those, those are there. They're going to be on the screen here in just a moment as well. We're kind of trying to break it down verse by verse or every couple of verses of what God's saying in this great book of Acts about the early church and what he's doing here, and then make it relevant uh, because it is relevant. Um, for us today. So as we look at that, we see in Acts, um, in Acts chapter 3, we need to be open to God's prompting and open to God's spirit. Peter heals a man in need. We want to ask the question, where do we need to be open to God's spirit in our life? So in the early church, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see Peter and John are faithful to their roots. And then for ZPC and us, where can we be faithful to our discipleship groups. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Verses 3 through 5, we see that Peter and John were open to interruptions and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we want to ask ourselves, where are we open to God's work through the Holy Spirit? We see in verses 6 and 7, Peter gave what he had to give. He said he didn't have silver and gold. He had others to give. So where are we giving in faith? What can we give? And then verses 7 through 10, we see that miracles happen and the people are amazed. And we want to ask the question, when are you amazed? What amazes us about what um, God is doing? We need to be Jesus-connected 
so that we can be spirit-led. We need to be Jesus-connected so that we can be spirit-led in the ways that Peter and John were. So scholars believe that this is kind of a vignette or a story that exemplifies, you know, the miracles that um, Luke was talking about right there at the end of Acts chapter 2 that happened in the early church. He said, you know, if I said there were miracles. Here's one of those miracles. Let's see what happens. So he tells us this, this story. In verse 1, we see Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. They go there three times a day. As their tradition states, they are faithful to their roots. As we study, we see that good Jews would go early in the morning to pray. They would go what was called the ninth hour, which was nine hours from 6 a.m. That was at 3 p.m. And then they would go again at sunset. So we see Peter and John going there um, around 3 p.m. into the temple courts to pray. They're being faithful to their roots. And so we want to ask the question, how are we being faithful to our roots at ZPC? When we're, when we're faithful to what God has called us to do and to be, I believe that God will bless us. As I thought about this week, I think we need to be, continue to be faithful to our mission, and I believe that ZPC's mission statement matches up very closely with God's mission for the church um, universal. Here's what our mission statement says, called together by God to make disciples and release them for service in our broken world. And I see at least three parts in there that are really important that you guys are living out, that we're living out together. We're called together by God. We are to have community. We're to be the church together. A couple of things we've talked about are happening to help build community is our board of deacons. Each of the deacons is going to be making phone calls. Some of those have already happened where they're just checking in with you to see how you're doing, to see if you have any prayer requests, to see if you have any questions about church. It was also listed in your bulletin this morning that neighborhood fellowship dinners are starting to happen. This is part of the Vision 2020, and we're taking a little time getting these going. There's still some areas we need coverage if you'd like to host a neighborhood fellowship dinner. That's just gonna be a chance to build relationships and build community because we are called together by God to be here on Sunday mornings to worship together, but to be out in the community together as well. We also read about discipleships, that we are disciples who make disciples. And as we look at the six marks of the disciple, they tell us that we are to have a heart for Christ alone and a mind transformed by the Word. So what we're doing here on Sunday morning, you know, we're praying for that heart, our heart to be changed, and we need to study the Bible and understand it to be transformed. And then we can live out some of those marks where we're, it says we're released for service in our broken world. We're to go have compassion uh, to the people that we come across. This can be both formal and informal. Um, this leads us to missions, global and local missions. I'm really looking forward to you hearing about next week uh, the global missions uh, of our church and the local missions of our church in a report next week. You're going to be hearing that. But informally, we need to be ready to speak up and live for Jesus where he calls us to do that. That can be through relationships that we have in the community, you know, through people that you come into contact with. We need to be released for service in our broken world. Well, in verses um, 3 through 5, we read that Peter and John are um, open to interruptions and the Holy Spirit, and we want to ask ourselves, where are we open to the Spirit? So they're faithful to their roots, and then they're open to God's Spirit because they're faithful to the roots as they go to the temple to pray, but they stop outside this gate called Beautiful when a man begs them for money, and they listen to what he has to say. They don't just walk on by. They listen to what he has to say. So they're faithful and open to God's call, 
and that, that God could be up to something different than what they expect. We sometimes have in our lives, you know, what we think are chance encounters, but really when we look at them, and if we're open to God's Spirit, um, they're not chance encounters. They're not coincidences at all. They're God working in us and through us. And so Peter and John were open to God's Spirit to stop and listen to this man who was speaking to them. So when are we open to God's Spirit? Well, sometimes I know that I cannot be open to God's Spirit if I'm really distracted. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking this week, what are some of the things that might keep me from hearing God's Spirit? I listed several of those things. It could be phone calls. Um, if I get those, it could be emails, which I can get um, sucked into uh, to, to doing my email all the time. I'm a huge sports fan, as I've told you before. I can get, I can get on the verge of being obsessed with sports, so I, let's admit that. Uh, television. Um, or, or just a lot of other things, um, I can be distracted so that I'm not open to God's Spirit. Now, the, the trick is sometimes is then being open, though, to God's interruptions. It may be that one of those phone calls I get, or maybe that an email that I get, or maybe that somebody that drops by that wants to speak to me, or as I'm walking by somewhere and I happen, I happen by chance to run into someone, that may be an opportunity where I can be open to God's Spirit for something neat to happen, for an encounter to happen, as Peter and John had. And I think it starts with our mindset, you know, as we begin our day. Um, do we begin our day by saying, God, this day belongs to you. Show me how to live this day. Open my eyes to see what you want me to see. Or do we begin some of our days with something like, oh boy, this is going to be a terrible day. I'm so busy. I have so much going on. I don't know how I'm going to get through everything. And we, we start with a negative attitude. Oftentimes when that happens, we're from the very start distracted and we won't be open to see what God has for us. Instead, the focus can be a God where we, says, we say in the morning, you know, God, help me to be open to see what you have to see. Um, guide me, lead me, as you did those leaders of the early church. Last week, I interviewed our uh, Vacation Bible School leaders, uh, Jill Nash and Tom McCarthy, and they talked about how they have God sightings at VBS. I think that was a great idea. And if you've ever been to VBS, they'll, have, they'll read some of those where the children write down just on a note card or piece of paper places where they've seen God at work. I think that's a great idea to be thinking about for us, for the whole church. You know, what's a God sighting that I've had? And we, we start being expecting to see God at work. And when we expect that, we start seeing his Holy Spirit lead us to things where he is at work. So let's look for God sightings, not just at VBS, but in our lives as well. When we go back to what Peter and John are doing here as they're heading into the temple and they're going through a gate and they're heading in to pray and they see this man, we see that Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he tells this man who's begging for money, he says, look at us, look at him and John who are, who are there. It may be that this man... Um, was already looking away. Some scholars think that he was looking for a mark. He was looking for someone who would give him money, and he didn't want to pay attention to Peter and John. So Peter says, look at us. You know, give me your attention. He's bold. So Peter's being open to God's spirit to hear this, and he's asking this man to be open as well. Um, he says, look at us, and he makes that connection. I know that I need to be open to uh, God's prompting in my life, and so 
as you do, one of the things I do, I'll look for different ways in my devotional reading or my daily reading um, to be open to what God is doing. <clears throat> and I've just finished reading the Bible um, in a year. Now, it took me 17 months to read the Bible in a year. I want to admit that freely. Finished on May 31st. So I was looking for something new to do in my devotional life, and I had kind of been thinking about going back through um, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, which is a great uh, workbook, which I did many years ago. And as I looked back at this book this week, I think it is something that I'm going to pick up and take on for myself. I had some great things in the first chapter. In fact, in the very first chapter, the first couple of pages, Henry Blackaby says there, we often ask ourselves, what is God's will for my life? But then he says this, what is God's will for my life is not the right question. He says, I think the right question is, what is God's will? And once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to him. He goes on to say, in other words, what is, God, what is it that God is purposing where I am? Once I know that God is doing, once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God, not my life. And he has this great quote, which we used recently here on Sunday morning. He says, watch to see where God is at work and join him. Watch to see where God is at work and join him. And I think that's what Peter and John were doing that morning through the Holy Spirit. So just as they were, we need to be Jesus-connected in order to be Spirit-led. We need to be Jesus-connected in order to be Spirit-led. So in verses 6 and 7, we read that Peter gave what he had. He said he did not have money, but he gave healing in the name or the authority of Jesus Christ. And we want to ask ourselves, where are we giving in faith? Well, Peter is very bold here, and he... He, uh, he could have walked by, he could have said something else to the man, but just recently he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he's been trained by Jesus. He's seen Jesus risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, and he's ready to be bold, and he's ready to speak out for God. I remember being in seminary at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and I was interning at a church there called La Kenyatta Presbyterian Church, and I remember it was an evening and another intern and myself were talking to one of the pastors, and so we're trying to, you know, glean some of his wisdom from him. And we said, you know, in youth ministry, because I was doing youth ministry at the time with him, I said, you know, we do a lot of games, we do a lot of fun things, we eat a lot of food. You know, sometimes you don't know when to go deep um, with the students. And so, you know, when, when have you seen, you know, as a pastor, when did you see, when can you go deep with students? And he says, when you have the chance, or when you have the inkling, go deep. He says, if you have the sense that God is prompting you, and this is kind of through the Holy Spirit, to talk with a student about Christ or about his faith, go for it. He said, this is the reason you are here. And I would say, you know, it's not just the reason that I was there as an intern at a church, but this is the reason that we're here on earth, you know, to, to spread God's good news when God prompts us to do so. He went on to say, he said, if you have a nudge or a gut feeling that it's the right time to bring up God and faith in a conversation, then it's time, and don't let that moment slip away. Now, I will tell you that there's probably been lots of moments in my life where I've let that moment slip away and I didn't go for it, but we need to uh, be bold, and I need to remember that advice for myself. 
is when you feel that nudge, there's a chance that may be the Holy Spirit prompting you to speak up in a conversation about him the way that Peter and John did on that day. So Peter gave a miracle. What do we have to give? We can ask ourselves, what do we have to give? And I could say, my guess is probably most of us, if not all of us, are not going to go out some, somewhere today and tell someone to be healed and see them be healed. Okay, so let's admit that. We're going to talk about healing, though, in just a minute. But we have other things we can give. How about our time, our talents, and our treasures? You know, what kind of time do you have available to give to God? When are you open in your time to give to God? What about your talents? What about your abilities and the spiritual gifts that God has given you? I know, you know, as I see your faces, I know many of the talents that you have because I've seen you in action around this building. And you can give your talents um, to God. You can make those available to God. And our treasure, our monetary physical gifts that can bless others in miraculous ways. We need to give of ourselves We need to be a bridge to Christ. We also know that sometimes when we're a bridge to Christ, that bridges get walked on, and that sometimes helping someone else stepping out in faith can be difficult, or it can be messy, or it can take sacrifice. But God calls us to do those things, to sacrifice for him so that we can see something greater. We need to continue to be Jesus-connected so that we can be spirit-led. So Peter gave a miracle, um, but it's not Peter that the power comes from. And I think this is important. And we see in the book of Acts that a lot of people want to bow down to Peter and then later to Paul in the second half of the book of Acts. They want to bow to them, and they always say, no, the power is not from me. The power is from God. And so Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He does it with Jesus' name and Jesus' authority. And then later... In this same chapter, in chapter 3, Peter says this, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Well, some people say that miracles have stopped today, and some conservative Christians even say that miracles do not happen anymore um, in the 21st century. But a lot of Americans don't agree with that. That's something I would not agree with as well. Uh, Here was in a recent survey from 2008 in Time Magazine. It said, what percentage of Americans, uh, what is the percentage of Americans who believe God's intervention could save a family member even if physicians declared treatment would be futile? 57% of Americans believe um, that God's intervention could save a family member. Also, this statistic from another survey from USA Today in 2008, the number of Americans who say they have witnessed or experienced a miraculous physical healing, 23%, almost one in four Americans would say that they've seen or experienced healing. So a lot of Americans believe that healing still takes place. But what does it look like, you know, in today's world? Does it look different than it did back then in the temple courts 2,000 years ago? So I found a couple of illustrations I'd like to share with you. Uh, One is from a pastor named Ed Dobson. And in the fall of 2000, the year 2000, doctors diagnosed Pastor Ed Dobson with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And the doctors gave him two to five years to live and predicted he would spend a lot of that time in a disabled condition. 
Shortly after he was diagnosed, Ed wanted someone to anoint him with oil and pray for healing. And he wanted someone to pray who really believed in healing. So Ed invited a friend who was a Pentecostal pastor who had regular healing service to come over and pray for him. And here's how this pastor described what happened. He said, it was one of the most moving evenings of my entire life. He began by telling stories of people who had prayed for, who were miraculously healed. He also told stories about people he had prayed for who were not healed, but who had passed away and who had received the ultimate and final healing of going to be with God. Before he prayed, he gave me some advice. He said, don't become obsessed with getting healed. If you get obsessed with getting healed, you will lose your focus. Get lost in the wonder of God, and who knows what God will do for you. He says, this is some of the best advice I've ever received. Since that night, I've been trying to get and stay lost in the wonder of God. So others do not want to believe in healing as well, but we have this, you know, this example from this pastor who believed that and who saw um, the wonder of God in his life. Also read this week from a respected theologian and writer named Frederick Beekner, and he says that healing is worth praying for. When you think about what do we, what do, we do when we pray for healing, here's what Frederick Beekner says. He says, pray for healing. If it's somebody else's healing that you're praying for, you can try at the same time to lay your hands on them as Jesus sometimes did. If his or her sickness involves his body as well as his soul, then God may be able to use your inept hands as well as your inept faith to heal this person. If you feel like a fool as you are doing this, don't let it throw you. You are a fool, of course. If your prayer isn't answered, this may mean more about you and your prayer than it does about God. Don't try too hard to feel religious, to generate some healing power of your own. Think of yourself, rather, if you have to think of yourself at all, as a rather small, clogged-up pipe that a little of God's power may be able to filter through if you can stay loose enough. Tell the one you're praying for to stay loose as well. If God doesn't seem to be giving you what you ask, maybe he's giving you something else. It's great encouragement and teaching about how to pray for healing. In looking at Acts chapter 3 this week, I read this from pastor and teacher Lloyd John Ogilvie about this and about healing and about miracles. He said, when the Spirit is given full reign in a church, there will be healings of people for emotional, spiritual, and physical needs. And when we preach and teach Christ and we pray for needs, miracles do happen. And the greatest miracle is the transformation of a person from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. The greatest miracle is the transformation of a person from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. So God can use us to bring about his will when we are alert to him. So we need to be ready to take part and we need to be Jesus-connected so we can be spirit-led. So what happens at the end of the story? Well, this miracle happens. This man is healed. He's jumping up. He's praising God. He's running. And we'll see later in the book of Acts that then people are questioning this. Uh, People are concerned about it. Um, Some people are excited about it. Um, We read then in Acts chapter 4, it says uh, uh, Peter and John, they were put in jail because of this because a lot of the leaders were afraid. 
But then it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, many who heard the message were believed, and the number of men believed grew to about 5,000 there in Jerusalem. So when are we amazed in our life? Here's a time that I was amazed and I probably shouldn't have been. It was about two years ago, I had the chance to be on a great banquet team, a spiritual retreat here at ZPC, and I was asked to be a spiritual director as one of the pastors on that team. There was a man there at that retreat weekend, at the great banquet weekend, who was struggling both with um, a career that was probably ending and a marriage that was in trouble. And God was really working on him that weekend through the talks and through the time when we were away from the distractions for God to work on his life. And on Saturday night, the guests and the team were having dinner, and there's about 75 people there, men, that were gathered in our church gym just down the hall. They were gathered there for dinner, and I had gone out to the gathering space for something. And when I came back in, I was probably the last person in the room to be seated for dinner, and there were only a couple of chairs scattered around. So I looked, and I saw the first open chair, and I went and sat down there. And when I did, this man that I had met during the weekend, he turned to me, and he said, why did you sit here? And I said, because there was an open chair. And he says, did, did someone come and tell you to sit here? I said, no, I, I hadn't talked to anybody. I was just late getting in the room. He said, well, I've been looking for you. And he goes, I needed someone to talk to. And he goes on to share that his career was probably ending. His marriage was in trouble. He was looking for one of the spiritual directors to talk to, and specifically a pastor. And at that very moment, I had come into the room and sit in the chair next to me, and then he turned to face me. Was it a coincidence? I don't think so. I think God wants to orchestrate moments like that where um, if we're open to his prompting and we listen to him, then he will work. And I don't remember much of what I said that evening. I mostly just listened to him and uh, prayed for him. And he said months later, he came back to this church. He's not a member of this church. But that, that weekend, the entire weekend, was a miraculous time in his life where God worked in great ways in his life. Um, because he was, um, Jesus connected that weekend, and he was led by the Spirit to be open for God to work. So what if we lived more of our everyday lives um, like Peter and John lived? Or what if we lived more of our everyday lives where we removed some of the distractions like we do at a great banquet, where we focus on prayer and we ask God to work, and we have an expectation of God that good things will happen? What would life be like? Amy Crispin said this earlier with the kids. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to remain in Jesus through prayer, through study, through fellowship, open to God's Holy Spirit so that he can work in us. We are the church called to be together, um, to be his people, for him to work here through, not, through us. And we need to stay Jesus-connected so that we can be spirit-led. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask your help. God, we've come into this room together today. I know I have and I know the people here. Lord, we come for different reasons, um, to fellowship, to see friends, but Lord, we mostly come um, to sing together, to worship, to pray, and to be filled up with your word so that we can go back into the world. And so, God, now, 
through this passage from the book of Acts, I pray that we would be filled too with your Holy Spirit, God, so that we can be connected to you, and God, so we would be open to your prompting when you would ask us to be a good listener or to speak up or to take action. God, help us to remove some of the distractions in our lives that will take us away from you so that we can be closer to you to be your people and to be your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.